is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Happy New Year's weekend. It's Allie here with your radio sisters, Bo and Rachel, and it's time for the New Year's edition of the Mulberry Lane Show. From 2017 wrap-ups to 2018 rollouts, there's something here for you on this episode. That's right, Rachel, and a big 2017 thank you to you guys for hanging out with us all year. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have done it without you. Mm-hmm. And we hope the new year brings you everything you wished for. And we hope everything you didn't like about 2017 stays right back there where it belongs. <laughs> exactly. All right, sisters, let's get to the guests. Woo. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity stories, songs. You're gonna have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Up first today, guys, Grammy Award winning singer songwriter Mark Cohn. Now you know him from this hit. Then I'm walking in Memphis. Walking with my feet ten feet off a beam. And this one. I'm asking you to be my true companion. Well, today, Mark joins your weekend to tell you all about one of his latest projects. He co-wrote three songs for the new Blind Boys of Alabama album called Almost Home. Now, the Blind Boys of Alabama are a legendary gospel group, and Mark shares some amazing behind-the-scenes stories. You'll really dig getting an insider look at this project and how the songs came together. And you're also going to hear Mark talk about the writing and recording of his massive hit, Walking in Memphis. So you're in for a musical treat today. Then you'll meet New York Times bestselling author. Her series of books, Dork Diaries, has been on the bestseller list for a combined 300 plus weeks and counting. Wow. 36 million copies in print, and it's just been published in 37 languages. Well, today you're going to meet a family that works together, headed up by Mama Rachel Renee Russell. She's here to talk about how she created this middle school series that millions of girls have fallen in love with, based on her two daughters, Erin and Nikki, who now illustrate and help write the series. It's truly a Cinderella story. This book grew out of a terrible time in Rachel's life, and a month after her world fell apart, she was a best-selling author. You're going to get to know Rachel Renee Russell, the positive diversity she puts in her books, and she'll give you some tips on how to get through those tough times in your life. Perfect story to kick off your New Year's. Absolutely. Okay, Allie, um, who's next? (laughs) Okay, there's a reason why she's saying Allie, um. Our next guest is Kate Winslow, and she has a brand new cookbook out all about onions, which are in the Allium family. (laughs) That's right. So I think I've garnered a new nickname around here. Anyway, you might not give much thought to onions and cooking, but when you think about it, some of the very best dishes contain onions, and you're going to hear about those today. And she shares some wonderful recipes from sweet to savory that can help round out your holiday season and take you into 2018 in gourmet style. Kate Winslow should know as she's a former editor at Gourmet. Okay, sisters, who's next? Rounding out the New Year's episode, Johnny Bananas. 
Now, he is the most victorious and notorious competitor to appear on MTV's hit competition series, The Challenge. Airing Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Central, you're going to get the behind-the-scenes scoop on this series, The Challenge, Champs vs. Stars. Features competitors such as the former NFL wide receiver Terrell Owens, hip-hop artist Lil Romeo, Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics Sean Johnson. So this is a group of tough competitors, and Johnny Bananas spills the beans. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to up your competitive game, gotta listen to this. Well, before we get to it, sisters, we need to give a big shout out to you guys for two things. First of all, we want to thank you guys for hanging out with us every weekend throughout 2017. Mm-hmm. You are the best. And we know that you guys have a lot of options of where to spend your time and who to spend it with. So to be meeting us here every weekend means the world. And we also want to thank those of you who came out to our free concert last weekend, Christmas Eve. So great to see so many people we knew and some new faces. Love feeling the support. And we hope we made your Christmas Eve a little more special. Mm -hmm. That was our goal. Yes. And speaking of goals, we have a goal for today. And that is to bring you guys into the new year some great guests. So sit tight. We're going to be right back with Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Mark Cohen, and he's got some musical gems for you. So keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. Party's about to start. Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you know him from the hit song, Walking in Memphis. Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Mark Cohn is here to chat about his co-writes of three songs for the new album, Almost Home, by legendary gospel group Blind Boys of Alabama. Now, Mark's going to fill you in on that project, plus what he's been up to musically. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to the show, Mark Cohn. Uh, thank you very much. I've never been sung into an interview. That's Yay! great. Okay. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you. So now you have to tell us how you got involved in the Blind Boys of Alabama project. Well, I'm very lucky I, I was asked to get involved. They're so fantastic. I love them so much. I actually toured with them a bit, and I'm going to uh, next year as well. Okay. But the way I got involved in the record was that they are managed by a, a gentleman who also manages the great soul singer, William Bell. Okay. And William Bell just made a record with my friend John Leventhal producing. Mm-hmm. And John brought me in to help co-write about five of the songs on William's record, which blessedly won Americana Album of the Year at the Grammy. Yes. So um, we were on a bit of a, a winning streak there. Since it's the same manager that manages William that also has the Blind Boys, they asked if we wanted to try and write some songs for the Blind Boys as well. And John so and I when you're hot, you're hot, right? Well, I guess so. It felt great, because I hadn't written many songs, either for myself or other artists, in a while. Okay. But the William Bell songs were so easy to, to help with, and the Blind Boys songs were even more inspiring because the manager very smartly sent me interviews with a couple of the main singers, Jimmy Carter and Clarence Fountain, basically talking about their own lives. Yes, stay on the gospel side. That song is kind of an autobiographical song of Clarence. It is. It is, exactly. As a songwriter, how do you approach, like, immersing yourself in his life and then turning that into a song? 
That's right. Uh, watching the interview gave me all the information I needed, not only about him as a presence and a human being uh, and a singer. You know, he told his life stories. You know, I literally sat down and took notes okay. watching his interview and tried to just glean some of what I thought were the interesting ideas that could be made into a song and then fill it all in with some sort of poetry and, and something that I thought would be great for him to sing. And I did the same thing with the song that I wrote for Jimmy Carter called Let My Mother Live, that John and I wrote with Jimmy, which was based on his interview, too, talking about his life with his father dying when he was young. Anyway, it was really just a matter of sitting down with those interviews and trying to get a sense of who they were and writing each of them a song that they could sing about themselves as if they'd written the whole thing. That was the idea. So when you heard their versions, what was your reaction? It was thrilling, you know. I mean, first of all, as a lyricist, to hear those voices, those gentlemen of song and gospel music and such deep soul and spirit, you know, to hear them singing my lyrics, I mean, which were basically their lyrics. And I have to say, I need to mention, they were given credit as songwriters. Okay. Very important that people know that. You know, if we were going to be taking ideas from their stories, they were going to be part to of the writer. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, just to hear them sing the songs, largely lyrics that I had tried to put together for them, was thrilling, because they're the real deal. Yeah. Now, of course, they're pure gospel, and you've kind of always had that sensibility. So where yeah. did that come from for you, and then where did that go for you on this uh, project? It's just music that from the first time I heard it, I mean, there were all kinds of music the first time I heard them that I loved and was drawn to. Uh -huh. Everything from Ray Charles, early Ray Charles, which really was gospel music with right. the lyrics rewritten. I don't even know how it was that a Jewish kid from Cleveland even ended up hearing gospel music so young. <laughs> but I did, and I was immediately drawn to it. Uh -huh. And I asked to go to churches to hear that music, because okay. I couldn't hear that music in temple, that's for sure. But so it, it the spoke to you, though. Not only spoke to me, it moved me okay. deeply. I mean, I had a really... A very, what's the word, I'm not finding the word right now, but sort of, a, you know, an absolute bodily experience to it. Would you, call um, it, would you call it a spiritual experience at all? It must have been. It okay. must have been. Uh, it's hard to explain those things or put them in the words. But, you know, music for me is a spiritual experience yeah. when it's great. Mm -hmm. And the gospel music I heard then was great. And then some of my favorite songwriters, like Paul Simon, started using people like the Dixie Hummingbirds on their pop songs. Right. First time I heard Loves Me Like a Rock and a few of the other songs that Paul used the Dixie Hummingbirds on, that blew my mind, too. It was like, wow, these two worlds can come together somehow. Right. I just love that music ever since I heard it, and I'm still a huge fan. So to be part of it and to be able to tour with these guys, it's just been a remarkable thing. I bet. I bet. That's been amazing. You've got Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Mark Cohn here with you on the Mulberry Lane Show. Every project has a feel that goes with it. How would you describe the feel of this project? Totally joyful. And, you know, not just to give them gospel songs like they had sung for years already, which are beautiful and wonderful, but they've done that. Right. Now for them, at you know, the end of their lives, some of them are quite old, yeah. for them to sing their own stories really appealed to me. Yeah. So it wasn't just joyful, it was also really poignant okay. and very moving okay. uh, to hear these guys singing. You know, I may have written the lyrics, but it was their idea. It's mm -hmm. their lives. Mm -hmm. It was just, I don't know, it was good to be involved. Almost transcendent, I would. Totally, yeah. totally.
Yeah. Okay, so now let's go back. When you were in the studio recording Walking in Memphis, did you <laughs> have any idea that that song would become what it's become? Did you have a feeling about that at that time? Mm, I had a feeling when I wrote the song, which was actually years before I recorded it. Okay. Um, because I, I wrote it in like 1985 and didn't even have a record deal until 1990, I think. Okay. But I knew when I wrote the song that I had begun to find my songwriting okay. voice. That's all I knew. I okay. didn't know it was a hit. I didn't know that at all. So, but I, I did know it was an important song for me okay. as, a, as an artist. Oh, that's neat. So now, why do you think that song resonated and still endures today? That I couldn't tell you. It's just one of that those I don't things. know. Yeah. It's just one. I mean, you know, I, I have all kinds of answers I could give you, but then those answers would apply to other songs that didn't quite connect. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know. In the end, I don't know. I think it's part of it is luck and timing. And yeah. if I had the answer to that, I'd try to write 10 more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you and John Leventhal have, you know, collaborated for over 25 years. So why do you think that creative relationship has endured and continued to thrive? I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, first of all, John and I are dear friends, and our friendship has grown over the years through all the work and, and just our getting to know each other. It's gone beyond that now. I mean, I adore his wife, Roseanne Cash, so we're all really friendly. Um, I think John is a genius. You know, I, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to work with him. I think he was an amazing songwriter and musician when I met him, which was a long time ago. And unlike most people, he's only gotten better time. And so I, I, I just think it's really John's sensibility matches mine. I think there were things that I, you know, brought to his sensibility that made it a little different, and certainly the opposite was true. What and John brought to my music was just fantastic. And you've grown together over time and still appreciate each other, which is awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. So now your recent album, Careful What You Dream, Lost Songs and Rarities. Now that's a collection of demos written and recorded more than 25 years ago. So what made now the time to release that? Well, mainly because I realized that my first record was about to celebrate an anniversary. It had been okay. last year, it was 25 years since it came out. And I wanted to mark that with a few different things. So one thing I did was did a tour where I played that first record from start to finish. Okay. And the Blind Boys were with me on a lot of those shows. Wow. Uh, and sang Back Up on Memphis and Silver Thunderbird and Ghost Train. It was fantastic. Mm. The other thing I realized that it was time maybe to do was to go back into the vaults and look to see what was there. What I was originally looking for were the early demos okay. of Walking in Memphis okay. and True Companion and all the songs from that first record. I found all of that, but what I didn't expect to find were about 15 songs that predated Walking in Memphis, that predated me getting a record deal that I liked. Some of them were very sparse and not produced, but I thought they were worth releasing, so I did. Had you forgotten about the songs? Completely. I mean, except for two or three of them, okay. I, I totally forgot about them. And then it's always nice when you go back and hear old work and you think, gosh, that was really good. <laughs> well, it, it was more than nice. I mean, it shocked me. My, I had sort of I presumed that everything I'd written that I hadn't released was pretty much terrible. Uh -huh. um, but the truth is, some of them just didn't make the records because they didn't fit sequencing or who right. knows what. Right. I just wrote new songs that I felt more connected to. But, so, you know, looking back 25 years later, you're releasing something like that, a, a song of a demos that, you know, were just show how my songwriting process developed. I wasn't trying to make a record. I just wanted to put it out. Right. How neat. So now, what's next for you? 
making my record. Okay. Um, I'm starting to write my own songs now. I have about four new songs over the last five weeks that I've been off the road, and hopefully I'll be able to continue. Are you excited about this group of songs? I am, I'm especially with the one I just wrote, which I guess is the best thing you could possibly say. You want to be more excited about the thing you just wrote, um, and I am. So okay. hopefully uh, it will continue. So you got to promise us when that next album is done, you'll come back and chat with us. Absolutely, I'd love to. Okay, Mark, thank you so much for sharing this project with us. Lovely time. Do you sing it out of the interview, too? No, we don't sing out. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> but you come back, we'll sing you back on. Sounds good. Okay, Mark, take care. Coming up, hang out with New York Times bestselling author of The Dork Diaries, Rachel Renee Russell, next, with 36 million copies in print. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain W.C. Handy, won't you look down over me Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be Feet ten feet off a beam, walking in Memphis. But do I really feel the way I feel? Music, arts, and lifestyle. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, Rachel Renee Russell, along with her two daughters, Erin and Nikki, have made dorks cool. Their New York Times best-selling series, Dork Diaries, has over 36 million copies in print and have helped middle school girls embrace their uniqueness. Now, the latest book, Dork Diaries 12, Tales from a Not-So-Secret Crush Catastrophe, is out now. And right now, you're going to get to know the lady behind the blockbuster series, and you're going to love her. Rachel Renee Russell, Dork Diaries, on the show. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I love that this project is you and your two daughters. So talk about what each of you brings to the books. Okay. Well, Dork Diaries is um, based on our main character, Nikki Maxwell, and she transfers to a new school. Only her secret is that she's there. It's a very wealthy private school, and she's there on a scholarship that okay. her dad arranged for her. And he is a bug exterminator, so she doesn't want anybody to know, you know okay. that she's not there due to all the money. But the book series is based on the actual events that happened to my two dorky daughters, Erin and Nikki. And, of course, as you mentioned, Erin and Nikki are now adults, and they help illustrate and write dork diaries. And a dork is similar to a nerd and a geek. Nerd and geeks are kind of the smarter okay. of the three. The dork is socially and up. So these are the people that, you know, maybe, you know, knock over things or bump into things or trip or say the wrong things and they may dress a little strange and you know <laughs> okay. they're just dorky people wonderful cool people but just a little dorky and my two daughters were dorky so they inspired the book series okay now millions of girls have responded to this series so what do you think it is about the books that speaks especially to the middle school girls well the, the thing about middle school I, I guess if you look at growing up it's kind of three phases your elementary school which is maybe from like first the fifth or sixth grade in middle school, or as when I was younger, junior high, uh-huh. it's you know probably from sixth to eighth grade, and then high school is from ninth to twelfth. When you're younger, your parents are there and they support you, and when you're in high school, 
you're you know looking forward to prom, your driver's license, going to college. So you're a young adult. But middle school is like horrible. Your voice is changing, your body's changing. Right. You're still a kid, <laughs> but you're not old enough to do anything by yourself like your older sisters and brothers. So it's just a miserable time of life uh-huh. in some cases. And you so kind of found the joy so, in that, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So uh, then again, obviously exaggerating. The middle school was not so horrible, I suppose, not for everyone. I was attracted to that time of life because, uh-huh. it's, again, it's probably, yeah, more difficult than high school, I even think. Yes, I, think I, I agree with you on that one. Well, if you just joined us, you're listening to Rachel Renee Russell, best-selling children's author of the charming books, Dork Diaries, here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, this project actually grew out of a very difficult time in your life. So explain where the series came from and why you started this series. For me, um, I was going through a divorce in about 2008 after 25 years of marriage. So uh-huh. I felt a lot like my character, Nikki Maxwell, was like, what the heck's going on? You know, life is just, you know, kind of turning upside down for me. And I was working as a full-time bankruptcy attorney. Okay. And I probably was one of the first bankrupt attorneys because through the divorce, I ended up losing my house and my car, and it was wow. just a financial disaster. So I was looking for something to do part-time in addition to practicing law that could possibly generate a little money. And I thought, well, I love writing, so why don't I sit down and, you know, and plus it was the catharsis just to sit down and do something that was fun and, you know, made me smile. And Dork Diaries, I finished up the book and it was sold. My divorce was finalized in May of 2009 and Dork Diaries hit the New York Times bestsellers list one month later in June of 2009. So I had a whole new beginning and it's been just wonderful ever since. Had you always written? Um, ever since I was a kid, I would take just crayons and typing paper or a spiral notebook and just write stories. Uh-huh. And it's something I've always done, but it's always been a hobby. But I think kind of based on the desperation of the times of going through divorce and having the financial disaster, I, I was calling myself kind of doing it as a just a little side hobby and something uh-huh. I might be able to make a little money off of. And, you and know, then all of a sudden it became like your, main, yes. your main dish. I was, yes. to, I, I was a consumer bankruptcy attorney, and I gave that up, and I became a full-time, full-time writer. children's author, and it's been the same thing. I've, I've not done another bankruptcy probably <laughs> since 2009. So and you haven't I'm had to worry happy. about money either. Not at all. It's <laughs> wonderful. The series, we sold 36 million copies, over 36 million copies. And we're now in 40 languages all over the world. And it's very difficult to get published even in just English in the United States, right, let alone right. in 40 different languages in uh-huh. 40 countries. So, so now what would I'm, you say to that person? You know, everybody has their ups and downs in life. So what got you through that time? And what would you say to a person who is going through a difficult time? You have to have hope. I would say it's all about hope. You have to believe that tomorrow is going to be better. Because otherwise you just give up and you just get some cases don't even want to live anymore. So I would say just have hope that tomorrow is always going to be better and that you can bring about a change in your life. And that's what I you know, tell not only young adults, but even, you know, other men and women that I meet. If you have a dream, I basically lost everything at like age 48. And then I was on the New York Times bestsellers list and making, you know, more money than I can even imagine. Just one year later, the worst time of my life. And the best time of my life. All at the same the time. Same yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, totally amazing. Now, your characters in the book are diverse. There's a white girl, a black girl, and a Latina. So what message did they you best friends want too, to convey? Exactly. Uh-huh. Yes. And then a, a lot of times when you have different people of different ethnicities or backgrounds or cultures, 
you think that there's more things that are going to create problems and keep you apart and make you different, but it's really totally the opposite. If you just open your heart and embrace this other person for who they are and their good qualities and the joy they bring in your life, you will find ultimately that there's way more things in common. And that's what these three girls, my three main characters, discovered. They have way more in common, you know, and the differences. And a much-needed message today, too. Definitely. I totally agree. (laughs) And before we let you go, working with your two daughters, does Mama always know best? Mama always knows best. (laughs) I've even told the girls, this is my project. I'm the boss. And my older daughter, Erin, actually... She'll be published in May of 2018 with her own picture book. So not only am okay. I the boss, but I'm training them to go out into the world and they can become their own bosses. Their own and bosses. Their own That's awesome. In, in all reality, though, we get along with kind of like your family. You have your ups and downs, I imagine, but overall it's 90% good things. Yes, and we love working with each other. Yeah. It's the same thing here. So it's the three of us and the three of you, same thing. Well, Rachel, we want to thank you so much for joining the show and bringing the joy of your series to us. Well, thank you very, very much for having me. That's Rachel Renee Russell, author of the best-selling middle school book series, Dork Diaries. If you've got a middle schooler, pick up one of these books. They're bound to love it. When we come back, if you're an onion lover, this next segment is for you. Kate Winslow is here to talk about the beautiful onion cookbook, Onions, etc. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. you covered the mulberry lane show now here's mulberry lane well are you or someone you know an onion lover then you've got to get your hands on the new cookbook onions etc the essential allium cookbook by former gourmet editor recipe developer and food stylist kate winslow now she's here to peel back the layers and infuse your cooking with everything onion Onions, garlic, chives. Kate Winslow makes the onion come alive. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. So now, a cookbook dedicated to onions. What inspired this? Um, I know. Everyone always wants to know that. And uh-huh. it's a few different things. I think, you know, as a child, I remember my favorite smell in the world was going to my aunt's house where she was cooking. And you would walk in and you would just smell butter and onions cooking okay. together on the stove as she was getting ready to make pierogies. Okay. Uh, my family was Polish, and that was just this wonderful, intoxicating smell. And then, a few years ago, my husband, who is the photographer for the book, he and I were living and working in Sicily at a cooking school, and we realized that every dish there was starting with red onions, and we okay. were just always cutting red onions, getting ready to cook with them, because every recipe called for them. And we became really reliant on them, and we just fell in love with them. And over the years, we just kept filing away onion recipes until we realized the stack was getting higher and higher. (laughs) We thought it was time to turn it into a book. (laughs) Okay, so now, you know, there are a lot more categories of onions than probably most people know. So just do a quick rundown of, you know, different kinds of onions and the types. Sure. I think everyone knows the storage onions that we are so familiar with from the grocery store, the yellow, red and white onions. Right. And they're the sweet onions that are grown in different parts of the United States that we see in the spring that are juicy and sweet and very mild. Uh-huh. And then a lot of people don't realize that garlic is part of the allium family, uh-huh. as well as scallions and leeks, shallots, pearl onions, 
little cipollini onions. There's so much variety within this one family that I think people aren't aware of. Right. And, you know, I didn't know that garlic and chives were part of the onion family until I uh, read about you. Yeah. So now, like you said, there's quite a flavor range. You know, how do you describe the flavors of onions? You know, when you're eating onions in their raw state, you often think that they're kind of spicy, they're pungent, they're sharp flavored. But then when you start cooking them, especially if you take your time cooking them, you're caramelizing them, their natural sweetness really comes out until they're almost sugary. I mean, Uh the longer you take them, you know, a pile of caramelized onions could almost be dessert. Wow. Can you share some recipes from the book that you're able to make ahead of time? Sure. One recipe that I love is the roasted onions that are stuffed with lentils, feta, and prunes. And that's something that can be totally made ahead. It can be served as a side dish or it could be a vegetarian main course. Another thing we always have on hand because we can make it ahead is just a shallot vinaigrette that's great on any kind of leafy green or roasted vegetable salad. Keep it on your counter until you're ready to use it and you're good to go. Okay. Now, what about a recipe if we're really out to impress someone? Do you have a really wow onion recipe? This recipe is so simple, and it's absolutely beautiful, is the um, the red onion blossoms. Okay. You take um, whole red onions, you cut them into six, but keep them attached at the root okay. end. Don't cut all the way through. Foil, yeah. And drizzle a little vinegar and olive oil over them, salt and pepper. Stick them in the oven until they're tender. When you unwrap them, they just kind of open up and they look like a beautiful lotus blossom. They're kind of tangy, they're sweet, and they're delicious next to steak or roast chicken, something like that. And they probably make the plate look beautiful too, yeah. They do, they Uh do, just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, right now you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show and we're talking with cookbook author Kate Winslow about her new book, Onions, Etc., The Essential Allium Cookbook. You know, you talked about how onions can be mild. So for someone who maybe is not that into onions, is there a mild recipe for someone, you know, like that? Um, One thing, if they don't like the sharpness of the onions, one thing you can do is soak onions in cold water for a while and that will take some of that pungency away whether you're eating them raw or you're cooking them. And people will find that that helps make them a lot more mild. Another dish, we make an onion focaccia with some rosemary. And it's a big, pillowy, soft dough. Very easy to make. Doesn't need to be kneaded very much. And then you just lay it out into your sheet pan, toss some onions on top with some rosemary, bake it. You know, you put onions with a delicious bread dough and everyone's going to love it. Oh, wow. That sounds wonderful right now. Now, when developing recipes or preparing this book, did you ever get sick of the onion? <laughs> um, you know, that's the funny thing. I never did. And I think okay. that's the beauty of onions because they do offer such variety. I was happy to eat them every day working on this book, uh-huh. and I'm happy to eat them still. Okay. That's good to know. Where can people yeah. find more of your work? Because you've written other books as well. I have. Um, I've co-authored a book called Coming Home to Sicily, and a book called The Agricola Cookbook. Some of the recipes from Onions, etc. are going to be available on the National Onion Association's website, so people can take a peek at a few recipes there. And yes, there is a National Onions Association. Yes, and it's onions-usa.org. Okay. So that would be a place to look for some of the recipes that are in the book. And then, you know, if you want the whole book, I hope people do, it's available on Amazon and uh, wherever books are sold. And it's a beautiful book. It could be out on the coffee table, too. Thank you. Yeah. And then when the next project is out, you'll have to come back and visit us. And we'll get some new recipes. I love that. Thank okay. You. Kate, thank you yeah. so much. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. 
Kate Winslow, cookbook author, gotta get her new book, Onions, etc., The Essential Allium Cookbook. When we come back here on the Mulberry Lane Show, you're going to meet Johnny Bananas from the hit MTV series, The Challenge. Keep it right here with your radio sisters. Music, celebrities, and everything in between. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you guys know him from MTV's The Challenge as the most victorious and notorious competitor. Johnny Bananas is back as part of The Challenge Champs vs. Stars, which airs Tuesdays 9 p.m. Central on MTV. Now, Johnny's here now to give you the scoop on Champs vs. Stars right now. Johnny Bananas, will he be the champion? Wow, you know what? I think besides Eminem, you're the only person that can make champion and bananas rhyme. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Okay, Johnny, you got to give us the lowdown on the new season. What's it about and who's a part of it? Uh, the lowdown. I love this uh, spinoff that they're doing now because, uh, you know, as challenge champs, we take this very seriously. I consider okay. it a sport. Okay. Uh, it gives us some clout in the sporting world because we are competing against professional athletes. So okay. uh, this season on the Stars side, you've got uh, Terrell Owens, who's a ex-professional football player, okay. wide receiver, one of the greatest to ever played a game. Sean Johnson, Olympic gold medalist. Sure. Uh, Kim Glass, Olympic silver medalist. you got Kim Waters, who's a MMA fighter. Then a bunch of entertainers. I mean, Riff Raff. Okay. There's no explaining that guy. I mean, God <laughs> broke the mold after he made Riff Raff for sure. Uh, and then you got Josh Murray from The Bachelor. Okay. You know, Little Romeo, the rapper. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's a, gonna a, be good. A, 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 now, you guys bodies, choose yeah. a charity that you're playing for. So, who did you choose and why? The charity I'm playing for is uh, Special Olympics. Okay. Um, I have a, a relationship with the Special Olympics now dating back a few years I've volunteered at multiple Special Olympic events. Most recently, I did the World Games in L.A. Okay. Um, and for me, it's just such an amazing opportunity to um, be able to participate and compete alongside athletes with you know, intellectual disabilities and kids that, you know, in society just are treated differently. And uh-huh. it's an amazing experience to be able to compete alongside of them and see how great they actually are at their respective sport. Right. And I made a really good friend named Matthew along the way, Uh um, who's also a huge fan of the challenge. And uh, Matthew may be making a special appearance this season as a a guest of mine on the show. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So now you are the only six-time champion in the show's history. So why do you think you emerge victorious? Well, I mean, I think I've got a combination of a a lot of different attributes that it takes on the challenge. I mean, when you think of, like, sports and athletics, you really do just factor in the whole athletic part, which, Uh you know, I grew up playing sports. I've been an athlete my entire life. But so it's part of you. The challenge, yeah, the challenge is more a mental game than okay. it is a physical game, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, the politics play, you know, 90% of the game, and, and I've just always been good at, you know, using mind, my brain. Mind games. Manipulating people. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so know, that comes just, naturally for you? Comes naturally. So, okay. yeah, you know, I, I have a perfect mix of, like, everything that, that, that you that need, need with, to be uh, victorious in this. So yeah. now, does your mental strategy, does it just evolve naturally, or do you really think about it and then strategize? No, I mean, I think the most important quality on the challenge is the, the ability to adapt, because okay. every season is different. The format's different, the cast is different. Uh-huh. You can't have the same game plan every season. So okay. depending on how the votes are going to go, and adaptability, in my opinion, is like another thing I think that separates me from a lot of the other competitors. So you're you good at flying by the seat of your pants, basically. 
I'm good at being a chameleon. You okay. know, you could put me in any room with anyone, and I think I can hold my own. So okay. I mean, that's a really important. So uh, do you think yeah. you'll win this one? Do I think I will? I always think I will. Okay. Do you think I will? Absolutely. <laughs> my bet is All on right, you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the vote of confidence. Yeah. Well, we're talking with Johnny Bananas from MTV's hit competition series, The Challenge. Now, the latest series of The Challenge is Champs vs. Stars, and it airs Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Central on MTV. Now, you stole the prize from Sarah in a previous series. So what was fan reaction to that? Uh, stole is a harsh word. I like to think of it that I... Uh I, I, I took back what what, uh, what, what was rightfully yours. Okay. <laughs> the fan reaction, I'll tell you what. I've never quite witnessed a uh, backlash and a fan reaction to the likes of the one I received after, after really? I uh, took the money back. And the thing is, I feel like a lot of people's initial response was, wow, how could you do that? Uh-huh. The reaction I get now, you know, two odd years later, is completely different. Okay. At first, it was very like a visceral, uh-huh. emotional reaction where everyone was mad. Uh-huh. Now that there's been some time that's gone by and people have had an opportunity to kind of digest the situation, they're like, you know what? We would have done the same thing. Okay. We get it. It's a game. Uh-huh. We're there to win. And, and granted, there are some Sarah diehards out there that still, sure. uh, you know, want to uh, see me, <laughs> watch me, watch Crash me and be burn. crucified. But yeah. the majority of people have, have come around and kind of taken it for what it is. Was that time hard for you when the reaction was harsh or did you just take it in stride? It, I took it in stride. I mean, the uh-huh. thing is, is, I've always said, it's like, if your name's coming out of people's mouths, good or bad, you're doing something right. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing is, on every show, and I've been on both sides. I've been the villain. I've been the good guy. Uh-huh. And I will say that while a lot of negativity comes with being the villain, uh-huh. the airtime and the notoriety that you get from that role, in my opinion, is way better. Because More than makes up for the, it. The amount of attention that uh-huh. that move got, uh-huh. it was unlike anything that's ever been witnessed on a challenge before. I mean, it was it was insane, the people that were coming out of the woodwork. People I didn't even know who were fans of the show. I mean, I talked to a friend who uh, who works at ESPN, one of the, the hosts there, and he goes, dude, he goes, I walked into the break room this morning. He goes, everyone in the break room was talking about what happened last night. I'm wow. like, I don't know anyone at ESPN. <laughs> Meanwhile, the entire staff was there, like, talking about this, like, around the, the water cooler. Okay, well, that's awesome, Johnny. Well, you know how to get attention. Got to watch. All right, thank you for joining the show. It's great to hear about the challenge, and we'll be watching. All right, great. Lots of bananas. <laughs> All, All right. right, we got it. Johnny Bananas here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Be sure to tune into his series, The Challenge Champs vs. Stars, on MTV Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Central. Johnny, thanks for hanging out with us today and bringing your larger than life personality. That and that competitive spirit. Oh, yeah. Okay, sisters, who else do we have to thank? Then a big middle school hug to Rachel Renee Russell, author of the middle school series Dork Diaries, embraced by millions of young girls all over the world now that they're published in 37 languages. If you've got a middle schooler in your life, make sure you pick up this charming series that celebrates friendship and diversity and being a dork. Rachel, thanks for bringing your inspiring story to the show today, and kudos to working with your daughters on this series. Mm -hmm. You get the Mulberry family stamp of approval. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, who else, Allie? Okay, well, a big Walking in Memphis hug to singer-songwriter Mark Cohen. Mark, thanks for joining us on the show today and sharing your musical journey and your latest project, writing some musical masterpieces for the iconic Blind Boys of Alabama. We wish you a great 2018 with the new music as well. 
Okay, Rachel, who's the final guest we have to thank? Well, Allie, um, <laughs> very funny. We have to thank the cookbook author with a book dedicated to the Allium, The Onion. Kate Winslow is here talking about her brand new book, Onions, Etc., which features delectable recipes, all featuring the onion. So it goes from a spice or a side dish to front and center. Pick up onions, etc. And I gotta say, girls, never before have onions sounded so great than after listening to the Kate Winslow interview. That's right. I'm all about it. <laughs> well, you really should be, Allium. <laughs> you can't help yourself, Rachel. <laughs> okay. And one more time, we want to thank you for hanging out with us during 2017. You and us, we've got some good times ahead in 2018. Yep, hang out with the sisters every weekend. That's right. We also got to tell you to make sure you travel over to Mulberry Lane on Facebook. We've been posting some videos of some new songs we've written. Mm -hmm. Last weekend, we posted a song called Christmas Maker to thank those of you who make Christmas special for those you love. And if we get our act together enough, (laughs) we're going to be posting a song this weekend to celebrate New Year's. We're keeping our fingers crossed, so make sure you check us out on Facebook. Mulberry Lane. Well, you gotta be feeling a big 2018 coming on. (laughs) Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a New Year's wrap. Sweet.